launches his body onto the ball. Now they hack a kick forward. Hawkins with strength. Just too big, too strong, and too good in the end. Welcome to the Cats Whiskers podcast for another week. I'm Wes Cusworth, joined by Mark Brunger, Mark Browning, and joining us as a special guest this week is John Peake. We'll start with you, John. Thanks so much for being a part of our program this week. Oh, it's a pleasure, Wes, and uh, thank you for inviting me. Mark Brunger, uh, Mark Browning, I know that you will be rejoicing like John and myself at the fact that the Cats sit atop the table and, um, well, clearly just at the peak of their game once again with that victory over the Bulldogs. How did we turn things around, Mark Brunker? Well, Wes, I, th- I think it was pretty simple. I think uh, Chris Scott might have just said uh, to the players, we need to little be, be a little bit harder and a little bit hungrier because uh, in that first half, I felt that uh, the Western Bulldogs really served it up to Geelong in some of the key areas where we've been dominant this year. They were able to just cut a sway through our defence and with Tom Stewart back, one wouldn't have expected uh, that to be the case. But I think uh, once they had a chance to to regroup at half-time, they were able to uh, really put the the incentive on just driving as hard as they can. And, and, gentlemen, that third quarter of football on Saturday night was one of the most awesome displays of football I've seen for Geelong, from Geelong in quite some time. And and I just think that uh, they, they blew the Western Bulldogs out of the water with their, their drive and commitment. And that's probably no further uh, better summarised than uh, Patrick Dangerfield's efforts in the centre of the ground where he... Uh, he uh, smothered the ball and then got to the next contest and, and created a uh, a chance there for for another Geelong goal. So it just seemed that everybody after halftime were just absolutely driven to to make sure that they were first to the ball and uh, we were playing in packs really and and creating many opportunities. Mark, uh, John, and John, you would you would agree with this? I think too that the number of times Geelong have made sluggish starts. I remember the Crows game. The Crows could have been four goals to zip against us, but they didn't kick straight. Uh, Hawthorne, who eventually beat us, of course, I think kicked four goals before we were on the board. So I think there's probably still a leg speed aspect to, to that, that when sides come out and they really burst out of the blocks, they can they can overwhelm us with their leg speed, but gradually we wear them down. Uh, John, uh, I, the thing that impresses me, and I, I, I don't know what you think about this, this the third quarter, is our small forwards seem to take over completely as well as the centre clearances. And that's something closest development, Tyson Stengel, those guys to me, as well as Dangerfield playing the best game of the season. It's, it's pretty obvious that's what turned the, turned the tap on that we kicked eight goals to nothing. Yeah, Mark, I, I agree with that. I, you've, um, Tyson Stengel has been just a, um, an amazing 
player for us, I reckon, this year. And it's a credit to the recruiting team at Geelong. I, I, I don't know if Eddie Betts had something to do with it, but I uh, did speak to uh, Francis Jackson when Geelong drafted him from Richmond and he was originally drafted Tyson and he said to me, he's a good player. Don't worry about that. And he's matured a bit and um, he's just so clean um, and, and close. Uh, he's just a probably... He's your hard-working type that you just know what you're going to get every week. He's been fantastic. So, yes, I agree with that, Saturday Mark. John, I want to stay with you because one of the very special parts of Saturday night was, of course, the milestone game for Joel Selwood. And you have been a part of the recruiting scene at the Geelong Football Club. You were there in 2006 when the Cats chose to take him. At To a lot of people, what seemed to be unbelievable at number seven, but there was a reason for that. Can you take our listeners that maybe aren't uh, are familiar with the circumstances surrounding the recruitment of Joel Selwood, what was going on and why he was taken at seven and and then obviously what the cat saw in him that made him very worthwhile? Yeah, Wes, um, look, it, it was, it's a unique draft, 06, if you look at it. When um, I've taken a few notes here with Gumbleton, Lockie Hanson, uh, Matthew Loomberger, Mitch Thorpe probably didn't um, live up to expectations, but Gumbleton and Lewenberger were going to be two great tools um, and injuries did curtail them a bit. And then you got Ben Reid, James Frawley, Mitch Brown, Kurt Tippett at 32. And, of course, we got Tom Hawkins uh, back in 40-something as father and son. So as a um, recruiting um, uh, group, we it was a tools draft. And I think that played in our favour. Um, I've, I forgot Jack Rewalt there too that uh, Richmond took uh, so as you can see there were some great tools there and that's one thing that is far hard to find so recruiters were really keen to get that the other aspect to it was Joel only played a few games in uh, 06 because he had a knee injury when we entered the 06 season Joel was considered number one but as time went on because of the injury and the tools that just came into uh, focus, uh, Joel uh, was fortunate enough to slip through and in defence of the recruiters, I'll stick up for them, uh, a lot of uh, clubs' medical team ruled him out. Um, even, even ours said that Joel won't play past 27 or 28. Uh, and at the time, there was a bit of a feeling, uh, well, We'd had a poor year in 06. Let's just get a couple of years out of him. So there was a bit of that. So, um, yeah, that was that part of it. And the other part of it, when you look at it, um, if you look through your sort of recruiting philosophy, Joel ticked all the boxes. He could play. He was a good athlete. Um, a, well, we've seen how good he is mentally. Um, yeah, so yeah, so it was a bit of luck there, Wes, to be truthful. Yeah. John, one of the things that stood out to me uh, in the uh, all the publicity surrounding Joel's 350th game and a few of the, the video presentations that, that I saw on the occasion uh, was, was comments from players who had already established themselves at Geelong by the time he arrived at two, in 2007 who were just amazed at this this young fella coming in and and sort of you know telling these more experienced players you know and showing them how to how to go about it uh, as a as a fresh face recruit to the club. I'm just wondering. Certainly in my time, I, I can't remember uh, a player walking into a club being more ready 
to be a, a league footballer and a captain of his club than, than Joel Selwood. Can can you recall anyone in, in in your time in the in the game that's that's come almost ready made to to be the player that Joel Selwood has become? Uh, no, uh, probably. Uh... Chris Judd didn't play round one when he went at West Coast, but I remember seeing his first game in the Waffle and he absolutely dominated. Uh, so, no, I'd agree with you there, Mark, but just to add emphasis to what you just said, um, as you know, I've already mentioned, we came off a poor year in 06 and I was feeling for the coaches and I remember running into Bomber um, after a couple of weeks because where's recruiters always want to get good feedback. And I said, how's Joel going? And he just turned to me and said, mate, He's fantastic. We don't have to teach him a thing. And all those recruits, whether and they were great players, Joel Corey and Jimmy Bartell and all those and even Gary Ablett, um, they all had to be taught something. And it, and uh, I just remember Mark saying that. And, uh, yeah, it was a great feeling. So, yes, there's there's been a couple, Judd, but off the top of my head, uh, for a first year, he was straight in round one. And, uh, yeah, he's been sensational. Yeah, it's hard to beat. So, Johnny, now we take it this end of his career, and he's he's clearly a leader at the club, on field and off. What what kind of a leader is he? Is he just a guy that, because he's so dedicated, a lot of other players follow, or is he a teacher, or is he a kick him up the backside and motivate them to <laughs> charge around? What what is what's what sort of a, a captain and a leader is he? Do you know? And, and and you know what what sort of inspiration does he provide to his teammates? Well, yeah. Um, I think first, um, the way he plays is a great aspect that for him. I think um, the little bit I've had to do with Joel, but I've had a lot to do with the Selwood family, the the great empathy they have for people too. Um, I think they're great uh, people people, if that that makes sense. Um, And Joel, um, well, first of all, he has a great... Uh, feel for the game, great knowledge for the game. And I think um, just uh, the players just naturally have great respect for him. Now, I wasn't there at the time, but, um, you know, Jack Stephen, who we took from St Kilda, Jack was having a few issues and all that. And I know, though, uh, Joel spent time with Jack. He went surfing with him. So he, he, as I said, he's a very empathetic leader too and just even though we probably didn't we didn't get the best football out of Jack uh, I know he uh, in his time and he didn't get a game in the finals and all that he just has great respect for him for the time he spent with it so it's once again it's a bit like his football he's an all-round package uh, Mark John uh I'm not. I'm not intending on on raining on Joel's parade with this comment, but it's something that we've discussed maybe a couple of times uh, through this year. I, I was of the mindset uh, at the start of this year that this could could well be Joel's last season for Geelong as a player. Um, I think he's ready made as a coach, so no doubt he's as soon as he's finished, he'll step into coaching and, and potentially, you know, one day coach Geelong as a senior coach, which I have absolutely no doubt will happen. Um, but. In the last probably five to six weeks, Joel's been playing some of the best football he's played in a long time. So the question is, the $64 question is, do you think he has got one more season left anymore? Do you think that this might might be his sponsor? Uh, oh, geez. Thanks for that question, Mark. Um, oh, look, yeah. I'll, I'll be honest. I, I thought a year or two ago that um, Joel might be finishing up 
And I agree with you once again. Uh, he's been able to sort of reinvent himself and play other roles. And and this is, you talk about leadership, the aspect of him, it's not about him. He's been prepared to go out of the centre square, play on a wing, um, all those sort of things. My personal belief, I'd love us to win the Premiership and Joel to finish this year. Yeah, I... Um, the temptation, isn't it? We all love it to see them go on, but I, yeah, I, I that's just my uh, feeling. That Joel may have different views, but win the flag uh, and go out that way is the way I'd love to see it. Yeah, romance, right. <laughs> absolutely, we love a bit of romance in football, John. Uh, just on the, the the thoughts about Joel and coaching, do, do you think he's a ready-made coach in, in waiting? Um, I definitely could do it. Um, whether he'd want to, or, yeah, I don't know the answer to that, Mark. Um, yeah, because it, it is such a stressful job. Like if you um, look at uh, what the coaches have to go through, um, if it's the older, I'd like him even though it would hurt so much, he'd go away from Geelong and, and be an assistant somewhere else and come back. Uh, that's the way I'd like to see it. Um, yeah, so, yes, Yes, the answer is to your question, he could coach, um, but I'm not sure he would. There you go. Yeah. John, we touched on Brad Close, uh, and he's not the only one, though, that the most encouraging thing about the whole season, for me anyway, is, that, is about the depth and the improvement of guys like Close and Zach Cuthrie and Tom, At- Tom Atkins. Is this just a natural progression and, and the number of games that go under their belt, or... Is there, is there a different means of bringing them forward? Because there's no doubt a, a number of these guys are playing slightly differently, different different tactics. Uh, even Jeremy Cameron's game around the ground and moving up the ground more. Um, Sandy Koenig's just leapt up a level to be nearly an A grader. What's 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 your sense of what's going on down there and why while we can't take the lid off? To me, this looks like a chance <laughs> at a flag since 2011 without without ever, without ever assuming that it's going to happen. It does look more like we're a chance to go all the way. Yeah. For, yeah first of all, yeah, I think it is our best chance since 2011, but there, you still got to, as you said, keep the lid on it. We've got to play at the MCG and et cetera, et cetera. Uh, so um, there's a little bit of unknown there. Um, first of all, just with Jeremy Cameron, I think, um, I was actually talking to Stephen Wells earlier in the week. Um, he got injured. He's always been a, uh, an endurance athlete, Jeremy, and he got injured last year. He didn't have really a full preseason. So we're starting, in, you know, second year at a club and all those things settling in. So I think we can logically explain what we've seen from him. He, you know, we've got to remember he was a star even at when he was at GWS. The other players are an interesting one, I reckon. Um, Sam DeConning, I saw him a few times in the VFL, and I thought, yeah, you're athletic. You, you're going to be okay, but um, there'll be some pitfalls along the way. So I, he's just been amazing, really, hasn't he? Like, I thought even losing Lockie Henderson, that might hurt us a bit because Lockie – until the finals it had a good year. So I really can't explain that. It's just a, a development. The coaches have got to take some real credit there. And regards Zach Guthrie, I, I really think uh, playing in a good system, a good team, you mentioned games played now, and just he is uh, like he's 
brother. They're just um, quality people and and working hard. And close is a bit the same. So I think the players got to take uh, a fair bit of credit, the recruiters for taking them, and we've got to remember the coaches um, of also. So it's a bit of a, a package there. There's no, I can't give you one straight answer, unfortunately. John, uh, I've, I've seen a lot of uh, VFL games this year for Geelong, uh, and I'm, I'm interested in your thoughts on on our uh, up and coming ruck stocks. It's always it's been a, a talking point at Geelong for as long as I can remember, and uh, you know the the old saga about you know does. Uh, does Reece Stanley stay as the number one ruck or is there other options or so on? But I'm interested in your thoughts on, on Shannon Neal and Toby Conway because to my eye, they look like they're actually starting to, to really improve now and become, you know, potentially in, in 2023, uh, some, some key players for Geelong in the big man department. Yeah, no, I'd agree once again with you, Mark. We were very agreeable here. Uh, Conway's looked really good to me. Um, I saw him play against us when he was in the AIS and it was the old story Raw, Ruckman etc. Yes, will he make it? I don't know. Um, but what I've seen of him, he's been very impressive. Very impressive. Now, Neil's the other one. Um, I've also liked him. He's, he's very athletic. Now, um, whether he gets big enough, strong enough, he, you'd think through the gym that can happen. Where it, Conway looks like a ruckman and a forward to me. The only thing with Neil, and I, I am a bit of a rap for him, by the way, there's a little bit of unknown. Like, I'm not sure whether he's a ruckman or forward or he becomes one of those in betweeners. You know, they're not either. But um, no, they're two tools that we should be pretty excited about. Yeah. Well, guys, for every winner, there's a loser. And uh, I think Anthony raised it in our points to discuss tonight. Sava Radicalia had a poor game in the VFL last week. Uh, he seems to be in the wilderness a bit, lost confidence. I mean, whatever happens with someone like that, he's played 58 games of football and played in finals. It's not been a complete disaster. Uh, personally, I think I wonder whether it's time for him to follow that well-beaten path from other Geelong players and try somewhere else like the Brisbane Lions. Uh, is there a place for him going forward for Geelong? Can he get his confidence back? He just, my impression is he has, his skills have not progressed. And I guess he's starting to realise that maybe it's not going to happen for him. Is that the case or is there some other issue there, fitness or whatever? Oh, for me, Mark, um, Asava, great kid. Um, We've got to remember he was a project draft pick. Uh, He came to the game late. His attributes is he can market, he's competitive, and he's quick. Um, his game sense uh, probably is a thing that has um, stopped him a little bit. And I think the other thing is when he came in, if we can uh, look at our tapes and all that, it was his marking that we saw. We saw this thing just launch it and take great mark, and he was competitive. The only thing I would I'd like to see him try down back just to see if that can happen. Otherwise, I'm a bit like you. I don't think he has a place in Geelong's best 22. John, uh, our uh, attentions are starting to be drawn to uh, to the postseason shenanigans, as I like to call them. <laughs> uh, 
um, with the um, the uh, trade period and also the the draft. Uh, the big the big word around the traps is that Marcus Ashcroft's boy is one of the hottest properties to uh, to go into a draft in uh, in quite some time. Uh, do you think he'll be the number one draft pick? And 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 where or if not, where do you think he'll end up? Oh, well, that one, Mark, I can only on what uh, other recruiters have told me. Yeah, they, um, yes, the, he's the footballer again. Um, they, they think he's a very good player. Yeah, that um, he, I think the view is he is close to number one. There's still a bit of the season to go, but um, yeah, like the few recruiters I've spoken to, they rate him very, very highly. Yeah, they, they, um, they're not as, um, buoyant about the draft down the track, uh, but they they think he would fit in uh, in any draft pretty high. Maybe not number one in the draft we've just spoken about, 06 or whatever, but, uh, yeah, they, they, they are pretty um, buoyant about him, yeah. Well, just as we see players coming into AFL clubs, we see a number of players making the decision to actually exit AFL clubs and exit competition for good. And, of course, one of those is Stevie Motlop, who played for Geelong, and a couple of dead-set champions, West Coast Eagles, Josh J. Kennedy, and also Frio's David Mundy. Now, given the enormous interest in our program from Sport FM listeners over there in Perth, let's focus our attention on Josh Kennedy and also David Mundy, who no doubt will have many fans over there in the West, and they've been great players for their respective clubs, haven't they? Yeah, absolutely, and and look, you, you look at uh, Josh Kennedy, and and of course he was he was part of the swap for uh, uh, for Chris Judd with with Carlton, and I, I think both clubs did particularly well out of that deal. I don't think there would be any complaints out of that. Uh, Josh Kennedy is one of those ga- players who can uh, turn a game on his own boot, and we've seen him kick bags of ten in the past before. So he, he's a great, uh, great player, no doubt about that, and will be sorely missed by by West Coast. And then uh, David Mundy, the good old No Undy, uh, No Undy Mundy, uh, is a, a has been a great player for Fremantle. Like you know, he's lived in the shadow of. Uh, you know, uh, the, the the big star over there in that five Brownlow medalist and so on. So he's just really gone about his craft, John, uh, in a, a really workmanlike way, as you said about a, a couple of Geelong players. He just he just gets out there, he plays his part and, you know, no fuss, no drama, just get it done. Yeah, he does, Mark. And interesting, as as a draft player, he was a key position player and was he, old, was he big enough to be a key position? Is he quick enough to be this and that? He's turned out an outstanding midfielder, and sorry to bang on about this, because he can play. His football now was just spoken about Joel. He's another one that um, great great size for a midfielder, reads the game beautifully, beautiful kick. Um, and I'm trying to think, I reckon he went in the teens, and there was a bit of that when recruiting uh, that I think at times we do look for the athlete too much. And um, David is a footballer, and he's had a marvellous career. I think uh, David Mundy is, is one of those guys that make you feel older because <laughs> when you hear that he's, they've announced his retirement, he's 37 and he's played all these games and you sort of think, but hasn't he just, just come on the scene a little while ago? And <laughs> um, yeah, it's a bit scary like that. And, and Josh Kennedy, a little bit the same, I guess. So that that uh, shuffling run up that he's kicking for goal will be missed. That was, uh, I think he's. Uh, unique in that regard don't remember there are a few guys who have a their own approach to shots for goal but 
it also actually was pretty effective. He, he never tripped over, and and his percentage of set shot goals is, is probably pretty high. I would have thought, guys, from uh, compared to others. Well, he's won a few games off his own boot, hasn't he? I think Richmond still have nightmares about David Mundy and winning games after the siren, don't they? <sighs> I was at that. Yes, I think I might have been at that game actually. Well. <laughs> By all accounts, David Mundy's a, a really was a really good junior basketballer, and had he not gone down the footy pathway, might have been something pretty special on the basketball court. I'm actually catching up with uh, David Mundy at the Seymour Blasters anniversary later this year, and he by he'll be speaking and uh, talking about his early doors experience and how basketball was so enormously beneficial to his football development, which is a bit of a trend that we're seeing. John, a lot of people are, are testing. Is it about the peripheral vision? Do you think that's one of the biggest assets that basketball provides for emerging footballers? Well, if you talk to uh, David Whedon, yes, <laughs> he, he would say the same, that uh, they get that peripheral vision and uh, being able to see out there and sideways and all that sort of stuff. So, yeah, I, that ha- has definitely uh, an aspect to it that you've got to look at, the vision. I should also add that my memory, um, David Mundy was a keen Geelong supporter in his oh, draft year. Oh, so. <laughs> look what we missed out on. <laughs> and it's always hard when you're interviewing them, guys. Um, you, you like them and they tell you how much they – I don't know whether they – they are telling the truth, but, oh, you know, I love Geelong. I love to play for them. And David Mundy was a avid Geelong supporter from memory. So sorry about that. Wow. Could well, you imagine David Mundy and Joel Selwood in the same team? Well, let's, let's uh, just take a couple of quick moments before the program finishes for this week to talk about the game upcoming. Because, John, you had experience at not only the Geelong Footy Club, but I think you left Geelong and went to St Kilda. Yeah, it was at, at the Saints uh, from 07 to 010. Um, yep, yep. So, we, and I do have a feeling for the Saints. Um, if Geelong don't win it, I'd love St Kilda to do it because they're great people down there and you just feel for those clubs that haven't won a flag for so long. Um, yeah, but I, I don't think they'll get the job done this week, unfortunately, for them. Um, I can see the Cats... Uh, Continuing on pretty well, I would I would think. I, I was I was nervous about against the Western Bulldogs. I just don't think the Saints have got the uh, guns to beat us. Yeah, don't know how the other guys feel. Well, unfortunately, I was at the game uh, earlier in the season at uh, Metricon Stadium or uh, Marvel Stadium, I should say, uh, where they blew us out of the water in the uh, in the second half. But a lot of those players aren't actually running around at this time of the year for St Kilda. They've uh, lost a few through injury and, and various means. But but I also think that since that time, Geelong has gone on this ten game winning streak since that game. So uh, I think the the uh, Saints actually kick started. Uh, Geelong's uh, resurgence uh, after that game, and and I think that uh, that the uh, Saints might get a bit of a thank you uh, on Saturday night at JMHBA uh, Stadium because I, I don't think that they've got uh, anywhere near the ammunition to to come anywhere near Geelong the way we're playing at the moment. Guys, Anthony and I have both said that if Geelong want to win the premiership, they might need an honourable loss between now and the end of the home and away season. <laughs> so. Uh, it's probably, you know, Arsenal killed are the ones to double up this year and um, beat us twice in a, in a season. But uh, look, otherwise, I agree with what you're saying. They are the last side. I think we've won every game since, haven't we, that that's killed a loss. So that was 10 rounds ago. 
um, we do seem to be playing too well for St Kilda to do that. They may again jump us. I can't. I could easily see that happening. That they kick the first two or three goals, but you would think over 120 minutes, Geelong are going to win the game. Yes, well, I can't see the uh, the honourable loss coming in the final home and away game when we play the West Coast Eagles. As much as our Perth listeners would absolutely delight in that, I think that might be de- deemed a, a dishonourable loss if they went to the West Coast Eagles and um, and suffered a loss there. But um, well, that pretty much wraps our program for this week. I do want to thank John Peake for joining us. It's always so marvellous to hear your insights into the game and particularly from a recruiting perspective. So thank you so very much, John, for joining us. Oh, pleasure, Wes, and thank you for asking me. Enjoy it. Mark Brunger is the man taking the reins across the course of the next couple of weeks in my absence as I head up to Croc Country and spend some time in the Northern Territory and enjoy temperatures about 20 degrees warmer than it is where I'm currently sitting right at the moment. You, you, you haven't taken uh, Brian Taylor's role in Last Cab to Darwin by any chance. I have you not. You're up there for filming. No, I won't be doing that. And I'm, as much as my next couple of weeks seems awfully interesting, it pales into insignificance compared to that of Mr. Mark Browning, who also will be missing for a while because he is heading to the home of the land. What is it? The land of the free and the home of the brave, I believe, Mark Browning. Is that right? Heading to... San Francisco. Uh, yeah, 109 Seal Cove Terrace. I don't know if Ben would say, my son would say that, but uh, yeah, uh, well, probably by the time this goes to air, I'll be either over the Pacific or in San Francisco. And, and I'm again, it won't be as warm as Darwin, but I'll be looking forward to some blue skies and sunshine and catching up with my son and his family and for the next three weeks. So uh, my wife, Chris, and I are really looking forward to that. And for what it's worth, I'm going nowhere. <laughs> Either right, Mark. <laughs> Someone's got to hold the fort. <laughs> That's right. We'll we'll give a cat's report. Absolutely. We, we will indeed. Mark Brunger will be your man across the course of the next couple of weeks. Thanks so much for joining us. To our faithful listeners, we hope you've enjoyed this week's episode of the Cat's Whiskers podcast. Oh.